Hey folks, welcome to another episode of The Sit Rep. Today, we're gonna to talk about mesothelioma, which anybody who watches TV understands it's a real problem out there. And we're blessed to have Dr. Hassan Khalil, um, from the Boston VA here to talk about what exactly is mesothelioma and what can they do for veterans who may have that disease. Dr. Khalil, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So, as I said, if you can't turn a TV on without seeing commercials about contact this person or that lawyer or whatever, if you worked in the shipyard or you, you know, with, with the mesothelioma and which is, uh, you know, and we'll talk about this, but pre predominantly asbestos related, I would think. Um, what is mesothelioma and, and, and how are they, I'm sure there's different levels of it or types of it. What, what is mesothelioma? What's it all about? Okay. So, um, that's right. Mesothelioma or mesothelioma, um, is a cancer of of the mesothelium which is the lining of several cavities in the body including the cavity of the chest the okay. cobra, the uh, abdominal cavity or the peritoneum that's that that lining is called the peritoneal cavity um, the uh, heart sac uh, the pericardium and also the uh, sac that contains the scrotum or the testes uh, the tunica vaginalis. So those four are uh, lined by mesothelial cells and they can develop um, mesothelioma. So, I mean, I was unaware till just a second. It, I, I always thought it was more of a respiratory issue, but what you're saying is it can affect multiple organs or parts of your body. Exactly. Um, most commonly, it affects the pleural cavity, so the chest, mm -hmm. because we inhale things that, that can cause mesothelioma, like asbestos most commonly, um, but it can certainly affect other body parts, like the abdomen is the second most common, the uh, pericardium, the sac around the heart, and also the testes. So all pretty important areas. I mean, so yes, definitely something you don't want to be messing with. So you, you, you mentioned asbestos, and that's probably how most of us, um, most of us lay folks understand mesothelioma. What is the relation between asbestos exposure uh, and the disease? It's a very good question. Um, actually, the link between asbestos exposure and mesothelioma wasn't really firmly established or published on until the 1960s and 70s, and people were exposed to asbestos for decades before that. Um, asbestos, as you know, is a naturally occurring um, mineral fiber. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of good properties. It's a fire retardant. It's, um, it's good for insulation, and so it has a lot of use in construction um, and in shipyards and so forth. So um, people have been exposed to asbestos mostly through industrial and occupational uh, exposures. Um, what happens is that um, people get exposed, and depending on how much exposure they have, the disease that manifests from asbestos exposure may manifest decades later. Uh, you know, you could develop mesothelioma 20, 25 years later, and the peak incidence of mesothelioma in the pleural cavity happens about 40 years after exposure. Really? 
So it happens quite a while. After. Wow. And, and do we know why? Why it takes, on average, like you said, 40 years for the disease to manifest itself? It's a very insidious disease. It It's caused by, theoretically, from inflammation. And so it takes a, a long time for that to develop into cancer, presumably. Okay. Wow. That's that's. So for most of our veterans you know, they would think their exposure is going to be, as you said, you know, on, on the Navy or Coast Guard side, shipyards working in the engine room because so much of the steam pipes and such are wrapped in asbestos and, and have been for That's forever, right. like That's since right. we started this, at least in the 20th century. Um, so that would be their exposure. But I, I came to find out that, you know, it doesn't make a difference. It can be any service because ceiling tiles, floor tiles, I mean, so many things that we never associate have asbestos in them. And you can be, you know, you can be, you know, contact and in, in, in contact with it without you really knowing about it. That's exactly right. Um, you can be exposed to and inhale asbestos through various uh, forms. Uh, you don't have to work in a shipyard. Even if you're working on, you know, renovating um, a building or a home and, and the insulation is old, you could uh, theoretically be exposed to asbestos depending on when the uh, building was uh, initially built. Um, the dose of uh, asbestos exposure does seem to make a difference. So the higher the dose, uh, most likely the earlier the manifestation of disease. And we're talking about mesothelioma today, but there are other uh, diseases that can be caused by <coughs> asbestos. Exposure to asbestos can lead to lung cancer. Um, it can also uh, lead to a severe form of pulmonary disease that's called asbestosis. And those can also happen years to decades down the line. Oh boy. So I, I think I need to kind of back up a little bit because my understanding you know, when I talk about, okay, asbestos is in ceiling tiles and floor tiles, I mean, you just walking on the floor um, of your barracks or whatever is probably not going to be the issue. The issue, as you said, is when they, is when you're doing uh, remodeling or something and you start tearing that stuff up or tearing the ceiling down, the particles that get broken up and stuff and get into the air, that's when you're at most danger. Is is that correct? That's right. I, I think um, because it seems to be, the disease seems to be dose dependent, it's that manipulation that uh, exposes to, uh, exposes people to uh, more asbestos. Um, when you walk, you could, I mean, the other thing we should say is um, that you know, there in the United States, at least, um, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and other agencies started to limit the amount of asbestos in various uh, materials. And so over the past 40 years or so, there has been less uh, asbestos in, in a lot of materials we use. It's still there, though. Right. So, um, so in, I would say if a house was built, for example, or a building was uh, erected more than 40 years ago, there's a higher- You got a good chance. Of, yeah. I know in my personal account, um, you know, living up here in the Northeast, yeah, I live in a home that was built in 1925. And for me, um, 
like all I have steam heat and all the pipes that run through the basement and such into all the radiators are wrapped in asbestos. Uh, and now they've been, you know, the previous owners and such wrapped them all in industrial plastic, basically. And I guess that's what you have. You know, you can't have it exposed. But yeah, so I know for a lot of us who live in older parts of the country um, where, you know, older construction going back, as you said, decades, mm -hmm. uh, if not generations, this stuff was so prevalent. It's it's in your home. You probably don't even realize it. Right. Um, you know, and that's why you see when they come in to do construction or remodeling in this area you have to get the asbestos check and all that stuff um so i guess okay so we've talked about asbestos what else can lead to mesothelioma is there i mean asbestos i guess seems to be the big one it's the big culprit yeah. but are there other you know other natural or not natural forms that can cause yeah very good question yeah asbestos by far is is the uh, most well-known and publicized uh, uh, risk factor for developing mesothelioma, but there are other kinds. Um, there are other mineral fibers that we can inhale that are less commonly used, uh, but also things like radiation, uh, which, you know, a patient may have had radiation for some other form of cancer, and okay. down the line, they develop mesothelioma. Oh, okay. Not from asbestos, but from the effects of from radiation, radiation treatment. Okay. Okay. All right. So, for the most part, though, when we talk about asbestos exposure and then the harms from it, we're talking about inhaling the particles. I mean, it's not in food. I mean, mo most I don't think most people are eating ceiling or floor tiles. Or not, yeah. your your exposure is probably through you inhaling the particles. Is is that correct? That's right. Um, and you know, I'm predominantly talking about pleural mesothelioma, which okay. is the most common type uh, of mesothelioma. Um, you know, there are three thousand cases of mesothelioma per year in the United States, and the vast majority of them are pleural mesothelioma. Which means asbestos. people have inhaled it into their lungs, and into their chest cavity. That's the okay. mesothelioma that's associated with asbestos exposure. Okay. Um, the other forms of mesothelioma may have some other uh, risk factors associated with them. But those are, are more rare? Much more rare. Okay. Much more rare. Yeah, by far the most common type is pleural followed by peritoneal in the belly, Okay. followed by pericardial, and then the least common, thankfully, is the uh, tunica vaginalis in the testes. Okay, yeah. all right. So, I mean, so you're talking about, which is the most common, pleural mesothelioma. <laughs> um, it's been around, and we, we, like you said, since the 60s, we've understood this. Where are we as far as being able to cure it? Can Is it curable? That is always, uh, our goal, but uh, mesothelioma is a very special kind of cancer because uh, unlike most other cancers that start in a very localized area okay. and then tend to spread, mesothelioma is the cancer of the lining of, of a cavity. And so it tends to be a, a surface, it, it, it tends to... Uh, occupy a, a, a large surface area. And so it's more difficult to control surgically and to resect and uh, to treat with other forms of therapy just because it covers a large surface area. Um, there ha we have made a lot of progress over the past several decades. Uh, we have 
many forms of treatment. Okay. Chemotherapy, now immunotherapy, surgery, radiation therapy. Uh, but for the most part, it's a very aggressive form of tumor that's difficult to cure. But the goal today is to turn it uh, from a deadly disease into a chronic disease where you can get it to where it's manageable uh, and you can treat the recurrences over the ensuing several years by some form of ablative therapy or additional surgery. Okay. So I guess let me back up just a little bit. How do, what are symptoms? How do I know if I, you know, I probably don't know if I have mesothelioma, but what symptoms would I have? How would I even know to come to you, or come to a doctor, my primary care doc and say, I'm having trouble. What, what am I going to present? The symptoms are typically uh, vague and symptoms of mesothelioma are also shared among other diseases. Right. So shortness of breath, pain are the most common symptoms. Pain in the, ch in, like in, the in my chest, okay. Um, but as you know, those symptoms also- COPD, are, you know, yeah. Lots of other diseases. Right. So if, you, if you're short of breath or you have chest pain, you're very, very unlikely to have mesothelioma. But on the other hand, you know, you, you should get the appropriate workup. Um, because it could be... could be so, a lot of other things. Anything from a clogged artery, or it could be so many things with, with those symptoms. Yeah. So I, I guess the what we're trying to say here, what we're trying to get out is, you know, get, get checked out. Yeah. If you're having shortage of breath and, you know, walking up the stairs or something, go get checked out. Yeah, it, and most likely it'll be something other than mesothelioma, um, and you'll get treatment for that. Um, the diagnosis of mesothelioma depends on a lot of um, additional tests. So we do CAT scans, PET scans, MRI of the chest, mm -hmm. um, and we, you have to get a biopsy to prove mesothelioma. Okay. It's... Um, it's a very tricky diagnosis, and you need a specialized uh, pathologist to look under the microscope and tell tell you whether we're, de you're, we're dealing with some sort of cancer or not. And if it is a cancer, is it mesothelioma? Is it mesothelioma? Okay. Or is it some other form of cancer? All right. So I, I think you brought up a good point, and, and you know we don't want to alarm everybody. Just you know, if you have a chest pain or you know shortage of breath, um, you might have a common cold. But yeah. I, I think the important talking point here is that if you ha are having an issue, you should start with your primary care doc. And then I'm assuming the testing will progress. You know, if it ends up, okay, it's not a heart problem, but you're still having these symptoms, I'm assuming they continue then to try to discover what's going on. And then eventually it comes to someone like yourself and we're doing what you just talked about, uh, doing the testing for mesothelioma. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, go through the appropriate workup. But the other point to get across is don't uh, don't give up. And so if, if you go to a physician or to an ER and you don't get all the answers that you need, you know, keep at it, go to go to other facilities, talk to other people and uh, try to get to the bottom of it. The most common uh, sign uh, that we see in mesothelioma is a pleural effusion or fluid around the lungs uh, in, okay. in pleural mesothelioma. 
And so, you know, again, a lot of people have fluid around the lungs for other reasons, from heart failure, liver disease, and other things. Mesothelioma is really rare, but any fluid around the lungs should get worked up and you should get an answer, you know, why you have fluid around the lungs. Right. So, I mean, even if it's not mesothelioma, it, it still could be serious. I mean, it's not normal to have fluid around your lungs. That's right. Okay. So, you, you kind of talked about, we, we talked a little bit about surgeries. So, you know, I find out I have it. I have pleural mesothelioma. Is surgery the first option? Is it the, you know, it, I guess it depends on how far it's progressed. So it, talk to us about the therapies and when surgery is needed or not needed and such. Excellent question. Um, because, you know, everyone is a little different. Mm -hmm. So if you have a patient who's very healthy and has localized mesothelioma to one side of the chest okay. that hasn't spread, we do the, the appropriate workup, including all the scans I talked about. Um, uh, we also routinely stage the mediastinum, meaning we, we do a, a, a procedure where we biopsy the lymph nodes uh, near the center of uh, central airways. Okay. To see if, if the mesothelioma has spread to those or not. If it hasn't, and the rest of the disease seems resectable on, uh, on the imaging studies, then we offer surgery first. Uh, on the other hand, in a patient who has nodal disease, meaning the mesothelioma has spread, has to spread the nodes, right? Then we defer surgery. We give chemotherapy first, then reassess and consider surgery later. Because correct me if I'm wrong. As a layperson, I've always heard or, or thought that yeah, once any type of cancer gets into your lymph nodes, now it has the ability to travel to multiple parts of the body, and so it's not localized anymore. So it's hard to do surgery because okay, we know we got to do say surgery here, but maybe it's you don't know where else it's it's spread. Is that correct, or am I totally off base on that? No, that's right, and that that speaks to the staging system we have today. Okay. Um, you know, one factor that's important is the size of the tumor. Okay. What, you know, whether it's invading the chest wall, the diaphragm, and so forth. The, the um, second uh, criteria is the nodal involvement. And the third criteria is, is the uh, distant uh, disease uh, or metastasis. So that's the, the, what's called the TNM stage. Uh, T for the size and local invasion. Okay. N for node and M for metastasis. Okay. The M obviously is the worst kind. If you have metastasis, that's you know metastatic disease. If you have nodal disease, that upstages the tumor. Um, the best kind of tumor is the kind that has low volume, hasn't invaded important structures hasn't spread to lymph nodes, and hasn't spread anywhere else. So it sounds like mesothelioma falls into the category of most cancers. Early detection leads to better results for the most part. If So if you... If you're short of breath, don't wait three years. <laughs> like I, I, in any in any case of shortness of breath, so yeah. you know the sooner you get checked out and the sooner things are detected, then I assume that gives you folks a lot more options for therapy. So walk me through. I come in. You've run all this battery of tests. I've got it. 
where are you taking me next? What what's going to happen to me? You've you've told me, you know, unfortunately, you have pleural mesothelioma. Where where are we going? So we have to figure out um, has it spread anywhere or not. So we do some non-invasive staging, meaning we don't you know no needles or anything. We just do a, a scan called a PET scan. Okay, it's a it's a radioactive scan that um, tries to look for uh, disease in the entire body from basically the head to the toes. Okay. That tells us if, and it gives us a crude picture of whether there is disease outside of the chest and whether it's spread to the other side, for example. Um, and then we do uh, lymph node biopsies like we talked about to, right. to look at the central airways and see if the disease has spread. But also the other side of it is how healthy is the patient? So if it's a patient who's super healthy and has localized disease, the disease hasn't spread anywhere, that patient is, is uh, treated differently than someone who is a lot sicker, who is bed bound. Um, so that factors a lot into what. Okay. But that's the general al algorithm is some sort of imaging study and then node biopsy. And then we go from there, whether we do surgery first or uh, systemic therapy first, like chemotherapy. Okay. So obviously at, at the first meeting we have, and you have all these results, then you're going to map out for me what you feel is the best course of action based on what my, you know, where the disease is, how much it's spread or not spread. And then we're going to go from there. All right. So I come in, I see you and you say, we think surgery is your best option based on where it is, what it hasn't or hasn't done. Um, what does the surgery entail? What can I expect? What am I looking at? And then recovery, you know, what, what goes on with the surgery piece? There are uh, several uh, kinds of operations that are offered. Um, uh, we typically offer um, what's called a pleurectomy decortication. Okay. We go in, we make an incision in, uh, you know, between the ribs. Um, and then we remove the lining of the chest wall and the lining of the lung and also remove some of the lymph nodes. Um, then this is typically, uh, it starts being, it starts off as being an exploratory operation to see if the cancer is removable or not. If it's removable, then I try to remove everything that I can, all the lining that, that's cancerous. Um, and if the diaphragm has to be removed, then I may have to reconstruct it with some sort of patch. If I remove the lining of the heart, the pericardium, I typically reconstruct that with a patch and then put some drains and close. Uh, patients should expect to be basically in the ICU for several days okay. for monitoring um, and in the hospital on average two weeks. Okay. So it's it's pretty involved. It's, it's pretty in, invasive, and yeah, it so, and it sounds like yeah. Depending on what you find, yeah, is obviously going to lead you down different paths, and which is going to lead to more recovery. The other piece of it is um, we have a lot of experience with giving uh, intraoperative heated chemotherapy. So in addition to the chemotherapy that patients get either before or after surgery we give a dose of chemotherapy into the chest cavity and while you're while surgery is going on after i've removed after the, you're the done answers okay. all, all the all the tumor all the visible tumor 
then I give a, a round of chemotherapy into the chest cavity to kill uh, residual cancer cells. Okay. Um, so I go to the ICU, I then make it into you know normal recovery. And if everything goes well, how long am I looking at being laid up before I can return to normal activity? Yeah, good question. You know, patients uh, actually tend to stay in the hospital mostly from something called an air leak because we have to strip the lining of the lung. Okay. The lung leaks air. And so they uh, usually one of the drains ends up staying uh, in the patient for, you know, a couple of weeks. And that's what drives uh, the hospital stay. But once all that's uh, healed and we remove all the chest tubes, patients, you know, tend to go home or to rehab. Uh, their recovery uh, is a couple of months, you know, six to eight weeks at a minimum. Um, now, does that mean like home, resting, no work, no driving? No, usually. Just yeah. basically I'm home, but I'm kind of, I'm homebound. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're, you know, you're walking, you're doing, you know, we encourage patients to walk a lot, uh, to do, you know, some form of exercise, but you're not jogging. Right. You're not, you know, uh, you're not going to be able to do your normal grocery shopping and things like that. You're going to need a little bit of help. Okay. Um, and then once that passes, as long as everything's, I'm, I'm assuming I'm still getting external chemotherapy after for a period of time. Once you're healed from the operation, then I refer you to an oncologist. Okay where um, you get uh, adjuvant chemotherapy, which is after surgery. And how long does that typically last? A few months. A few months. Yeah. And then I'm assuming at the same time, there's all kinds of blood work going on and continued scans to see if anything's Absolutely. popping. So it's yeah. it's a continuous process. It's And what I love about it is that you form lasting relationships with your patients. So. It, it becomes more of a friendship. And so I get to know the veteran, the veteran gets to know me and same with the oncologist. So it, it, it's a very, um, um, it's a strong bond that you form, you know, with your surgeon and oncologist and your nurses. Non-surgery, what, what is a typical course of therapy? Is, um, you talked a little bit about immunotherapy. What, what exactly is that? How does it come into play with all this? Excellent question. That, and that data is very recent. Okay. Um, so typically, you know, before uh, October 2020, someone who was not going to get uh, surgery because of unresectable disease, uh, he or she would get chemotherapy. Um, but now we have another option, uh, immunotherapy. It's a combination immunotherapy using two drugs that were approved by the FDA. Um, those two drugs seem to uh, improve survival in uh, patients with unresectable mesothelioma based on a randomized trial that was done in several countries, several cancer centers. And that was partly why the FDA <coughs> uh, approved uh, this drug combination. The, the two drugs are nivolumab and ipilimumab. They're both immunotherapy drugs um, and they seem to prolong survival. Those are infusions. So the patient goes to get an infusion uh, at, at a cancer center. 
So the same, kind of the same as like chemotherapy as you go in for your session. Yeah, exactly. But is it as evasive as chemotherapy? That's always the downside because chemo, it's basically, it's bad stuff they're putting into your body to fight. Is How's immunotherapy? I mean, as far as side effects and all that stuff. Yeah, it's different. It's, it does have some side effects. Okay. But they seem to be pretty well tolerated. Um but you know there are it's you you'd have to be under the care of um an oncologist a okay. doctor who would monitor you for those side effects they can range from fatigue to to more serious things okay so i mean it it sounds like it's a nice alternative yeah how do you decide how do i qualify for one or the other or is is a combination of both can you do immunotherapy and chemotherapy or is it like the progression of the disease. How do you guys decide which one I'm going to get? So for for every cancer nowadays, we have uh, what we call a first line therapy, second line, third line, and so forth. Um, right now, we have uh, for unresectable disease, um, we have options. It used to be just chemotherapy. Right now, immunotherapy is one of the first line options. Okay, and as time goes, we'll. Uh, as time progresses, we will have um, hopefully more and more options. Oh, that's awesome. So, unfortunately, I have this disease. You guys are giving me the therapies, um, either surgery or not, depending on, as we talked about, where my disease is, what stage it's at. What can I expect my survival rate to be? Very good question and very common. Uh, I always preface that when I talk to patients, by saying that, you know, we have statistics because we've been treating mesothelioma for several decades now, and we have a lot of data, but you have to understand that every patient is different. Right. Every mesothelioma is different. And um, the statistics are very much dependent on other factors. For example, um, there are different kinds of uh, mesothelioma. There are three major subtypes when you look under the microscope. There is the epithelioid type, the sarcomatoid type, and the bi biphasic, which is a combination of the first two. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah. yeah. So if you have epithelioid mesothelioma, the outcomes are in general better. Patients survive longer. Um, if you have sarcomatoid type, that's a more aggressive type of tumor progresses more rapidly. So when you look at the statistics, you have to pay attention, okay, what type of mesothelioma is it that I have? Uh, and within each type, what else is involved? Is, it, is, is the chest wall involved? Is it invading the ribs, for example? Is it invading the diaphragm, the pericardium? Are the lymph nodes involved? So all of those details go into the equation and into the statistics. So don't look at some general statistical number and say, right. oh, that's my survival because there's a lot that goes into it. The best um, outcomes are in those who have epithelioid mesothelioma, low volume, nodes not involved, and doesn't invade any adjacent structures. Those patients with the combination of surgery and chemotherapy in general expect to survive several years, four, four more years. The median survival in those patients is probably around four years. So you could survive a lot longer or, you know, or less, depending on the particular situation. 
So if I can jump in real quick then. So I guess from what I'm hearing, even in that best case scenario, um, it's never cured. It, is it, does it go into a form of remission? You know, am I ever cured from mesothelioma? I think it's, it's possible. Um, but the more common uh, form of treatment uh, is that patients get resection, they get chemotherapy, they don't have, um, they may have a local recurrence, for example, in the chest wall where they had surgery, and we can go in and pluck those out, or they have recurrence in the lung and they get radiation therapy. But um, today, in 2021, achieving cure from mesothelioma is quite difficult. Okay. But we there are case reports and, and we've seen patients that have had a resection um, for mesothelioma you know, more than five years ago. Um, but most of them have some local recurrence that they deal with. Again, you know, you want to turn it into a chronic disease where you manage the local recurrences with some some form of either resection or ablative therapy. Um, you talked a little bit about other forms of therapy. So I, I guess I have a question. You hear a lot with cancer patients in general, all types of cancer, holistic medicines, or is, you know, has there been any studies that say a combination of what you're talking about along with some holistic approaches or better eating or how, anything that ties all that together? Or is it just, you know, everything's different for every patient? I think um, good nutrition physical exercise, being in shape um, is extremely important. Um, we could throw all the drugs we have at a patient with, me with mesothelioma, but at the end of the day, if they're not healthy enough to tolerate the treatment and to fight the disease, uh, it's not gonna work. So every patient with mesothelioma um, should eat really well we pay a lot of attention to nutrition in patients with mesothelioma. Okay. We monitor their uh, protein levels, um, and uh, we're very aggressive about uh, uh, treating malnutrition. So, you know, those things are important. Uh, in terms of uh, other things that could, you know, treat the mesothelioma, probably too soon to, to, too soon to know about that. But... Um, we need more research. And that brings me to my next question. There's this fantastic research medically going around all over the world and all kinds of things. How about mesothelioma? What what research is going on and where do we hope it will lead us? Yeah, unfortunately, because mesothelioma is a, a rare disease, only 3,000 cases in the United States, um, you know, it's it's a rare cancer. So when you um, look at mesothelioma in relation to other common cancers like breast and prostate and right. cancer, those diseases, uh, uh, there's a lot more research going into them. There's a lot more funding into uh, right. researching cures or therap therapies for those diseases. Mesothelioma less so just because it's more rare. But there are a lot of us who are passionate about mesothelioma research. And uh, we're hoping that in the next decade, there will be more uh, information on uh, genetic alternation alterations in um, mesothelioma and targeting um, those mutations uh, with with drugs.
where can veterans and their families or caregivers, where can they get more information? You know, if they just got a diagnosis or, you know, or are, you know, hey, I worked on board Navy ships in the engine room for 30 years, you know, where can they get more information if they're just, they really want to dive into what's going on? Well, fortunately, there's a lot of information uh, online about this. Uh, my word of caution is, you know, don't believe everything that's out there. There's obviously uh, good resources that I encourage people to read. Uh, but uh, if you have mesothelioma, if you're a veteran and you have mesothelioma, then I want people to feel free to call uh, our mesothelioma um, uh, number and we're happy to help them. Um, and I think we can post the yep, number. Yep, the, the, the number will be down there in, in the video description. So, you know, please right below here. Give it a look and give a call if you if you if you need more information. And we'll we'll provide um, uh, the expertise that that veterans need. Well, there you have it, folks. Mesothelioma, um, a tough diagnosis, but as Dr. Khalil has told us, uh, a lot of options uh, and can get you pointed in the right direction and get you on the road to recovery. If you need more information, as we said earlier, there's a phone number in the video description below uh, to give them a call here in, the, in VA Boston, and they'll be glad to talk to anybody from anywhere in the country. Uh, give them a call and they can get you pointed in the right direction. Uh, and for those who have served or are currently serving, thank you for your service. Thank you.